I know it's not about us? First off, it didn't start with us. It started long, long, long before us. It doesn't end with us. And out of the tens of billions of people that have died before us, it obviously wasn't about them. And so the odds are pretty great it's not about us either when you come to think of it. So then the big question is, so who is this all about? What is this all about? And I just, I just want to give to you right off the bat, I know I'm going to just give you the answer, but you still have to come to all the other messages, okay? It's about someone greater. It's about someone bigger. Someone grander. Someone smarter. And this is not a put down to us. In fact, it is an elevation to the reality that we have the opportunity to participate with the greatest of all time in his person, in his character, in his purpose. We have the opportunity to find our significance and satisfaction in the greatest thing ever. One person said the smallest package that one can be wrapped up in is when a man is all wrapped up in himself. And it's never been truer than now when you think about it. You know, for some of us, when we talk about this, when we talk about how great God is, when we talk about how the real big significance is in Him, sometimes we aren't really wowed with that. You know, really, how big is this God? And I know we've heard the stories in the past, and, and potentially you went to Sunday school as a kid, and you learned all the stories about you know, how God parted the Red Sea. Or when there were 23,000 people complaining, he opened up the earth and they all fell in there. Have you ever prayed for that sometimes with people complaining about you? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, God, now is the time. Open the earth, you know, so people can go. It's just confession, gang. We've all done it before, huh? We've heard the big stories about how people circled Jericho and, and on that seventh day all the walls came down and, and how God spoke and the worlds came and the stuff is in our brain, but let's just face it, can we just be real today? That there are times, and the time may be now for you and it may be now for me, when our God and our mind has shrunk a little bit. Now he is no smaller. I think we know that. He's not smaller, but maybe in our brain he's a little bit smaller. Maybe in our heart he's a little bit smaller. Maybe we're going through a problem right now that we just think is gigantic and our God is shrunk and is he really capable of handling it? Or maybe you're facing an obstacle and you think this thing is just too tall and there's no way I can get up over the top of it and I have no idea how and there just seems to be no hope and that's when our problem has eclipsed our God and he's somehow got us. I want to invite you to grab your Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah, if you would, chapter 40. Maybe it's on your smartphone, maybe it's on your tablet, you found our Wi-Fi. Wherever it is, just find Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to work through a tremendous passage this morning. And Isaiah asks this question, what can we compare God to? And the reality is we're going to find out nothing. There's absolutely nothing we have to compare him to. 
But he, he asks us, how big is he? How strong is he? And we're going to learn two big analogies from the prophet Isaiah that are going to grow our understanding of just how massive God is. And it's going to give us a good reminder. It's not about us. It's not. So here we go. Um, I just want to read for you a, a couple verses that are going to springboard us in. And if I may do this a little bit differently, of course, I've only preached once, so everything I do is differently. Um, I'm going to start with a verse, and then as we ask the questions and answer the questions, we're going to go to those next verses as we move along. But look at verse 18, and here's where the prophet Isaiah pops out this question for us to think about. And he's going to give us two awesome analogies to which we are going to try to size up God. And then in there, we're going to try to size up us and our challenges. So here you go, verse 18 of Isaiah 40. Here's your last chance to stand. It's going to be quick. Just stand with me for a moment. I'm going to read this. Then we're going to sit you back down. We're going to get to work and have you grab your study guide that's in your, uh, your worship folder. We're going to get to work together here this morning. Verse 18 of Isaiah 40. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? Some people have tried. Look at verse 19. As for an idol, a metal worker casts it. And the goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. I'm going to read a little bit farther. Forgive me. Verse 20. And a person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. And then they look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. <coughs> People tried to fashion God. People tried to size him up to get a feeling for how big he is. And they're not even close. So have a seat. Let's work on this together. Give your study guide there with you from your worship folder. There's two analogies that the writer gives us this morning, and we're going to have a little bit of fun with it. From Isaiah chapter 40, and the first question that the writer Isaiah gives is, how big are his hands? How big are God's hands? Now here's an interesting question. You may not think about it. We've Sung that song, maybe if you learn this way back in your kiddo ages, he's got the whole world in his. Yes, we're not going to do it because we get to the tiny little baby. The song just goes on and on and on. But how big are his hands? How big is this God? Now, interesting, if you look back at verse 12, in this same passage, he's going to go through some analogies to help us size up the hands of God. Notice verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? I love this analogy. If you ever want to size up how big the hands of God are, the, the prophet Isaiah says, now just imagine this. He says, who has ever held the waters of the world in the, and he calls it the hollow of his hand. So just for a moment, just take a peek at your hand. I want you to cup it in such a way, and you notice that little kind of quarter to half dollar size impression that's in there. 
That's what the writer is talking about here. The hollow of God's hand. Now just to get a little bit of perspective about this, we need some visuals in our mind. And that's what these things are here for a little bit later. But we need some visuals in our mind about how much water is on this globe. To measure it, let's work through a cubic mile. A cubic mile. And a mile is, a cubic mile is, is a cube, a mile in each direction. Just think of this huge, gigantic, square Rubik's Cube that's a mile in every direction. Now to figure out how a mile is, how big's a mile? So you go out, um, you go out here to Hammond. Am I pointing the right direction? Okay, you go out here to Hammond. And then you go to four miles. And if you start at four mile, and you go a mile wet, guess where you're going to end up? Isn't that neat how that works out? <laughs> Some of you are like, there's a mile between four mile and three mile? <laughs> I'm learning something new at church today, you know. That's a mile, from four mile to three miles a mile. Now just imagine this cube, a mile up, a mile across, a mile deep. You wonder how many of those cubes are the waters that sit on our globe? I didn't do all this measurement. But if you take the oceans of the world, they amount to approximately 912,500 cubic miles. Let me just interpret that for you. Wow. <laughs> and God's hand. And there's all that water right there. Then the prophet gives another analogy. Who measures the heavens like this, the breath of his hand? Oh, yeah. There's the universe right there. Like, are you kidding me? The tip of his thumb to the tip of his little finger spans the heavens. I don't know if you realize this, but the earth is 25,326 miles around, but Isaiah isn't talking about the earth. He's not talking about the distance to the sun or the size of our galaxy. He's talking about the size of the universe, and God says, yep, yep, there we go. Continues on in that verse with the amount of dust. He says, the total amount of dust or the dirt of the earth is in a little container. I'm sure some of you people are thinking, if I dusted my house, I can't fit it in a little container. <laughs> this little container, and God walks around with it. All the dirt. And then the, the largest mountains, and he says here, who has weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills and a balance? And here's like these little pebbles and God reaches down and grabs the Appalachians and the little tiny pebbles and he puts them on a scale measures. It's the type of hand we're dealing with, with God. That's the type of strength and might that we're dealing with when we look at God. And, and the writer describes even beyond this, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. Big deal. 
We watch the news today and it talks about all these national issues and to them they're just a little drip, little drip of water in a bucket. They're not a huge problem for God to be dealing with. It's hard to begin to grasp the greatness of God. And all we've talked about are his hands. Here's the second analogy that Isaiah gives him. And this is a really fun one that we're going to do together. How big is God's house? Like, how big is God's house? How big is this area that he lives in? And now Isaiah moves from his hand and he moves to his house. And, and in order to understand his house, he's going to talk about the heavens. And it's the same word that we use in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so here's these heavens, and I, I want to give this to you, and we're going to get a little bit from you in just a moment. How big is this house that God lives in? Now, just to measure this out a little bit, the distance, let's see if you remember this from school age, the distance between the earth and the sun is how far? 93 million miles. And light travels, or it's a little bit tougher question, light travels how fast? Wow, someone down here has done his homework. Did you steal my sermon notes? You didn't. 186,000 miles per second. So just think about this. Light can orbit the Earth seven and a half times in one second. That's how fast it's moving. That's faster than you can drive in Canada, folks. That is flying. <laughs> and interestingly enough, for, sun, uh, for the light to reach from the sun to the earth, it takes approximately 8 minutes and 21 seconds. From the second the light pops off of the sun to get here to earth, Eight minutes and 21 seconds. That gives you an idea. If light can orbit the earth seven and a half times in one second, and it takes almost eight and a half minutes to go from the sun to here, 93 million miles is a long, long, long ways away. And beyond the sun, there's all these little twinkle, twinkle little stars out there. You wonder how far away are Let's do this together. You got your bulletin there? Let's work with your bulletin today. Um, we're going to see exactly how far away these other stars are and what we're dealing with. Let's just say, folks, that the thickness of a piece of paper, if you look at it this way, the thickness of a piece of paper, let's just say that's 93 million miles. Let's just envision that's 93 million miles right there. I think you're going to have fun with this. So two sheets is 186 million. Three sheets is 279 million miles. Four sheets, 372 million miles. If you count your uh, visitor registration form in the bulletin today, I think with the trifold we have seven sheets of paper that you look at if you stuff it all together. So your bulletin today represents 651 million miles. You kind of appreciate your bulletin a little bit better this morning, don't you? 
651 million miles. A stack of paper that I have up here on the uh, platform with me is about six and a half feet. And you're wondering, how far is it from the Earth to the next star beyond the sun? And each one of these sheets of paper represents 93 million miles. There's 500 sheets in each ream. And here I have six and a half feet of reams of paper going up. And you wonder, how far is it to the next star beyond the sun? <laughs> and it's a little bit taller than this. You see the center of our auditorium right now. And if you look up there, then you're, when you look away, you're going to see about eight spots in your eyeballs. <laughs> you're done. But the very center of our auditorium is approximately from Matt Hackbarth, 50 feet tall. Now imagine a stack of paper that goes right from here, goes all the way up 50 feet. Each piece of paper representing 93 million we still have not reached the next star. The next star beyond the sun is a stack of paper 71 feet high with each sheet 93 million miles represented. Are you starting to pull a brain muscle here? <laughs> of how big this earth is and this universe is. And then we just think about that. That's only to the next star. Then you wonder our galaxy. How big is our galaxy? And our galaxy is named the Milky Way. And if you think about it, if you went to one end of the galaxy all the way to the other end of the galaxy, it would be represented that width if every piece of paper were 93 million miles represented in that thickness. It would be represented by a stack of paper, you ready for this? 310 miles high. And then you go beyond our galaxy, and we are one of billions of other known galaxies at this stage of the game. And the size of the known universe at this stage right now, and the only reason why we say this is how big it is, they haven't found out yet how big it is, but for what we know, the size of the known universe would be represented by a stack of paper, 30 one million miles high. And for all you math freaks who just can't get enough of this and you're saying, preach it, brother, preach it. <laughs> and if your brain is not yet fried, just think of this. Every mile in the stack of paper is 10.4 million individual sheets of paper. So all you need to do is take 31 million miles of paper, multiply that by 10.4 million sheets per mile, 
Then multiply that by 93 million miles with each sheet, and it represents the idea of the size of the known universe. It's just that simple. <laughs> and that's just what we know. And the reason why that is all we know is because we have no way as of now to see any farther. And we may just be getting started. I want you to grab a sheet of paper again. I want you to look at it. Look at that wick right there. That's the difference between the earth and the sun. I want you to find the earth on there. Find the United States of America. Now find the mitten. You see the mitten on there? Oh, that looks nice. And Traverse City. Now find you. And there's a reason why we say. Not about us, folks. And I know that that may not attract people. Come hear our new pastor preach that it's not about you. That's really inviting, isn't it? Great. But we need to be honest. This is bigger than we could ever imagine. Our God is genius and brilliant and powerful to be able to do all that we have and all that we see and here he's so massive and yet here's us and he still knows us and loves us. I want to see how the uh, how Isaiah uses these things in an analogy. Notice verse 22 of Isaiah 40. Here's the analogy. This is why we talk about how big this is. It says, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And for those people who think the Bible is archaic, it never knew what was going on scientifically. That's a bunch of baloney. Here the, the prophet Isaiah says, the earth is a circle. At the time, everyone thought it was flat. Well, we knew who told him it was a circle. So he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. And notice this, he stretches out the heavens like a canopy, kind of like an umbrella. Here's the heavens, everything we see above us, and for God it's like, bam, and he opens up his umbrella, and there it is, the heavens. And he spreads them out, and notice his house like a tent to live in. And so when we look at these massive 310 million miles of stacks of paper with each sheet representing 93 million miles, and the writer of Isaiah just says, you know what, that's just like a little tent for God to dwell in. He didn't say it's a mansion. This thing's huge and God can spread out and sprawl out. No, he says it's like a tent. Nothing huge, no biggie. And when we look at these things from the prophet, we begin to understand. Scientists have said for years, we're listening, we're wondering, this universe is too big just for us to live in. 
And you know they have microphones out in outer space just listening for any type of correspondence or is there any clue maybe that something else is out there because it's too big just for us? And I happen to agree with modern science. I say, yeah, it is, it is too big for just us. And it's just about the right size for God. Remember one day, uh, this goes a number of years ago, we were... I was actually in New Jersey for my uncle's funeral. While we were away, I had a farmer drop off a bunch of hay for us, for our horses. And uh, remember, we came home from, from this funeral, and we all got there, and there was the hay. And, and the kids, uh, after we got in, we unpacked, and the kids were outside running around on the property. And um, it wasn't too long, and I hear screaming with, like, joyful, gleeful screaming. And they all come running in. And at that point, we just had five girls. The two boys weren't there. And they all the girls come running in. And my wife in tow. And they are holding in their hands a little tiny kid. No, it's not little. It's not. Ugh. And they're like, you know what came next? Oh, Dad. Please, can we keep it? And then you know the famous words, and we'll take care of it. You'll never have to do the thing. We'll clean up after it. They won't make any messes. There won't be, yeah, right. Anyways, oh, please, please. And it was so little and so helpless. It was wet and tiny. Just looked defenseless. Please. So the vote went six to one. <laughs> and we kept it. And here's this little tiny thing we found in the flower patch, and what we figured out later was the farmer delivered hay, and somehow accidentally, <laughs> this kitten got mixed up in the hay and ended up at our house. From then on, we now have security cameras on the Here's this little thing, tiny, in this now grand world of the Conover property, needy, helpless. And if you know anything about cats, as it started to grow up, all of a sudden it didn't need us anymore. It would ignore us. Like, here, kitty. But you better have the food and water out for it. But it just roamed the place like it owned the place. I got thinking, uh, yeah, sometimes it's kind of like us. You know? Here we are in this grand, massive world of gods. It is our Father's world, as the song says. And here we are in this tiny little creation down there on this speck of sand called the And in the grand scheme of things, yeah, we are helpless. We do need him. But you know how our mind goes sometimes and we end up thinking, I don't know if I've done this. This is about me. This is about my comfort. 
This is about how I want things, and we go for a stretch of time ignoring God and paying all the attention to how I like it, my comforts. We get demanding where's the food, where's the water. Sometimes we quickly forget how small we are and how big he is. And forget about the rest of society thinking that crazy thing is sometimes we who really believe in God sometimes forget how big he is. I want to give you three lessons and with this we're going to finish up. Three lessons from the text. And these are big lessons, folks. Please uh, write them down. Remember them. You can post them on Facebook later or Twitter them out or whatever you want. But put them in front of your face where you can see them. Because understanding how big God is, how small we are, here's three things I want us to think about as we finish up today. Number one is from verse 10. Verse 10 in chapter 40. Would you look there quick? To see the sovereign Lord comes with power. And he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. So I want to put this out there. First lesson from Isaiah. Understanding how grand and great God is. The very first thing we need to remember is to trust him. Trust him. He is big enough to handle any problem. And I love, here Isaiah says, look at God, look at that arm. He's going to come in and he's going to take care of things. And we can know that, but we really need to believe that. You know, when we're in something that is bigger than what we think we could ever handle, which oftentimes is true, that puts us in the right perspective. We're in a situation for God to handle it. To come in, as the text says, with his sovereign arm, his strong arm that can handle anything we face. Now the challenge of that is sometimes we feel we're getting the shaft. Sometimes we feel we're getting the, the, the short end of the stick. I'm really getting the rough road here. And I want to see this thing work out. And so here's where trust comes into play. And that's why the writer says this. Notice at the end of the verse it says, See, his reward is with him. And his recompense not a word we use often today. The idea for recompense, this is compensation given for loss or harm suffered. And I know we've all been down there and you say, you know what? I want to straighten this situation out myself. You know, the earth swallowing the 23,000 people. I want to take this on myself. I don't know that God's going to come in and do what's necessary, and so me as the Lord's servant will help him. And God says, no, 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 trust me. Just trust me. I'm strong enough. I can handle it. And if you think you're getting shafted, just hold on. So see, he comes with his if you've taken a hit for this, he comes with his recompense. I'll take care of you. 
You don't have to go all out for yourself. Trust me to take care of you. That's the God we serve. That's the God that we're part of this program with. And no, God isn't worried about things. You know, I know we look at politics today, or we look at our world, or, you know, we see people have banned God. You know, God's not there like, oh, no, they banned me. Now what can I do? He's big enough. He rolls up his sleeve. And with his rock-solid forearm and clenched fist, he, he can handle all of this. And he will. And if you've taken any kind of a loss for it, just trust him. He'll take care of it. Here's number two. Let's trust him. Now notice verse 11. Oh, I love this. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have come. Remember the bulging forearm of God in verse 10? And isn't this gorgeous? Like a shepherd. We're not envisioning that clenched fist. Now we're seeing that open hand and the open arms as he gathers his flock to him like lambs in his arms, close to his heart. Here's number two, depend on him. Depend on him. Same arm that's going to pulverize the enemy is the one that reaches down and grabs us, lifts us to safety, covers us, rubs us, comforts us like the arm of a shepherd. Chapter 39. At that time, the Rodak Paladin, the son of Paladin, king of Babylon. And I know I'm talking straight on to some people that need to hear this this morning. He's big enough to scoop you into his arms. He might be going through a big deal right now. Maybe it's a marriage issue. And you're hurt. Maybe it's a kid issue and, and you're struggling with it and you're saying, I, I ache, God. Maybe it's a physical issue and you're saying, I don't know how this is all going to play out. Maybe it's an emotional issue. Maybe a personal issue. Deficits. You just don't know what's going to play out with all of this. And, and we realize that God is not only this mighty, massive warrior who can straighten everything out, he's also our shepherd. And the Bible says he can grab us. Sometimes that's exactly what you need. It's just a really good Are you there right now? I got one more application. Can I just pause for a second and pray for you? Is that okay? Even if it's not, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Some of you are hurting. You're aching. And you need to sense God's love for you. 
And Father, I do pray in the name of Jesus Christ for your comforting, loving, warm, strong arms to pull us up close to your heart like a shepherd does. And our problems may not be immediately fixed and solved. And I know we don't like that, but it's okay. Because at this stage in the game, we just need to know you love us. And you really care. And you're there for us. And for some folks here that are carrying some physical, marital, children, occupational, financial, emotional burdens, may we sense that peace of God that passes all understanding. Hold us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we trust him, we depend on him. Here's number three. Follow him. He's big enough, and I like this, not to need our advice. Yeah. Look at verse 13 and 14. Here's some gorgeous rhetorical questions. What the writer says, Isaiah 40, 13, and 14. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? And we know the answer to that is no one. Who can instruct the Lord as his counselor? No one. Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And I think you're going to catch on the repeated pattern. No one. Who taught him the right way? No one. Who was it that taught him knowledge? No one. Or showed him the path of the understanding? Guess what the answer to that is? Boy, you are really quick. No one. And some people love to serve the Lord in an advisory manner. Huh? And sometimes our prayers are that, God, here's my prayer, and I have it all figured out. You can thank me later. If you'll just do this and this and this and this, this should turn out perfect. You're welcome. And the reality is God is big enough. He's genius enough. I hate to say it, he doesn't really need our genius and brilliance to help him out. He actually just needs us to follow him. And oftentimes I found myself thinking prayer is my way to get God to listen to me. When ultimately the goal is to get us to listen to God. And this whole it's all about him theme is exactly what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Let me jog your memory on that one a little bit. Remember how it starts? Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy, thy, 
Now just think about that. Your kingdom, your will. Right off the bat, Jesus sets up in his prayer, it's about God, it's about how awesome he is, it's about his kingdom, it's about his will, and we follow him. God knows best. So the goal of our lives is to not work at getting God to know our will, but rather us getting to know His. I know it's not popular to say it's not about us, but I'm not about to lie. It's not. We need to learn to give up. Give up our way. Give up our timing. Give up our plan, give up our preferences, give up our agenda, give up our comfort zone. And the reason why we do those things, the reason why we trust him, the reason why we depend on him, the reason why we follow him, is because, folks, it's not about us. Would you reflect with me for a moment? Eyes closed if you would. I just want you to look inside. What's touched you in this? Whatever has touched you in this, would you talk to God about that? Maybe it is just a recalibration. We got thinking we're big, God's small. My problems are big, God is puny. And maybe we just recalibrated and we realize God's huge. <laughs> and I and my problems are small. And if that's enough, then praise God, take that one home. Maybe God is drawing you to trust him more with your problems, with your life. Maybe God's calling you to depend on him more and to rely on his love for you, and maybe God's calling you to follow him more. To launch out and forget about our plans and our agenda and become more acquainted. you talk to him for a moment? Just share this with him. Whatever God wants you to do.